I've been looking forward to sharing this series with you, a series on the life of Elijah. And uh, I actually had a completely different message series, all four weeks of it, like planned out to the letter for what was going to happen right now. But about three weeks ago, I felt this deep stirring in my spirit that God was calling me, no, it's time for a message on Elijah. And I'm glad I'm, I'm shifting gears to bring that, and maybe we'll discover why together. But uh, I remember being in Israel a few years ago, uh, and Anne and I were there, and we had a 10-day opportunity to be in the Holy Land. It was amazing. I recommend it if you get the chance sometime. But the way we did it was we rented a car, and I drove, and I hired a private tour guide. And so we're driving through uh, the Holy Land with this Jewish-Israeli man who's like, full of knowledge and just telling us about everything, everywhere we were going. It was amazing. And so there was a lot of time to just talk. And so driving, you know, I think we were heading toward, to, to Nazareth one day. And uh, in and of itself, like, I was driving to Nazareth one day. It's a fun thing to you know, be able to say. But, but uh, he, I was just talking with him. I'm like, hey, so Samuel, you know, in Hebrew, Shemuel, right? I, how does it feel to have, have the name, like named after the great prophet who's got a couple of you know, books of the Bible named after him. And he's like, well, I like the name Samuel. I'm glad I'm named Samuel, but I wish I would have been named Elijah. And I was like, what are you talking about? Samuel has the book in the Bible. He's like, yeah, but among the, us as Jewish people, there's nobody like Elijah. And he was telling me, he's like, as kids growing up, like, we, we'd tell stories about Elijah. Like, we daydream about Elijah. He's almost like a Marvel superhero in, in how we think about him, you know? And then he was just telling me all about Elijah. He was saying, yeah, every single week we, uh, we have Sabbath dinner, and we end our Sabbath dinner with a song where we're praying and saying, God, send us Elijah. Like, every week we're crying out, God, send us Elijah. And he said, when we do Passover, we do a Passover Seder, and we, we put out the, a fourth cup, and we pour a glass of wine in honor of Elijah the prophet. And, and he said, in some Jewish households, they'll get up and literally open the door and then pour that cup, welcoming Elijah. There's so much of a heart cry among the Jewish people for Elijah. I never knew that, you know? And, and I want us to understand together a bit of why why this prophet Elijah matters. And we're going to turn to the book of 1 Kings in the Old Testament. So I want you to open up your Bible right now. And for the next several weeks, we're going to spend a good amount of time right there in this one old book of the Old Testament. And I hope that you get just a, a spiritual feeding from this time. And uh, so you're going to open up to 1 Kings, make your way there. And let me give you a little bit of background because... Uh, it, it matters that we jump in in the middle of this book of 1 Kings 16, 17, but with some understanding. So big picture. Here's the big picture. God chose one nation in which to reveal himself, the Hebrew people, the Jewish community. And you know what? We might wonder to ourselves, why? You know, why'd you choose them? You could have chosen the, the people in Japan, or you could have chosen the Kenyans, or you could have chosen the Norwegians, or whatever. Or you could have chosen the native uh, South Americans. But he God in his wisdom chose this one particular people group the Hebrew people, in which to reveal himself. And so in the Old Testament, that's what we're getting. We're getting God saying, let me show you who I am. And so you get God the creator and God 
of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's got his 12 tribes, but they end up in slavery in Egypt. But God is saying, let me show you who I am. And he delivers his people out of slavery in Egypt because that's what our Father God does. He sets people free from slavery, breaks chains, and he gets them out of slavery in Egypt, brings them through the wilderness, and brings them by Joshua's leadership into the promised land. And they're living in the promised land. God's people living out what he promised them. That is the glory, right? And then you get to the high water mark with King David. And King David released into God's people a heart for true worship with 24-7 honoring of God in worship that comes from the heart. And that was David. And the 12 tribes were united. And the kingdom of God through the people of God was being expressed. It was beautiful. And then Solomon, David's son, came on the scene. And he kind of messed things up. He married 900 wives. That'll kind of mess up any family. You know, and he, he did. It, and it broke apart the, the family. And then by the time of the next king, Rehoboam, there's a full-on civil war. And, and at that time, what you get is the, the 12 tribes of God's chosen people meant to reflect God's heart into the world. Now we're a divided people. And so you have the northern tribes referred to as Israel. And then you have the southern tribes referred to as Judah, and they're divided. And so that's the period of the Bible that we're jumping into. It's called the period of the kings and the judges. It's, it's this unique period where God's people were fighting against each other. But, but we get to 1 Kings 16, and by this time, you got a bunch of bad kings. And, and, in, and you get to the point where you've got the worst kings yet. And this guy, Ahab, and his wife, Jezebel, are in leadership at this time. Anybody heard the name Jezebel before? And it probably didn't have good connotations when you heard it, right? And you're going to discover in this series why, why that matters and what, what we can learn about that. But, but God is, is wanting his people to come back to him. But they're not. They're being led by Ahab and Jezebel into outright rebellion. They're walking away from God. God's chosen people, the, the Hebrew people, just walking away, just forgetting God, just drifting with the culture, and then whatever Ahab says goes, and it goes bad. And, and so here's just a taste of that in 1 Kings 16, 29, just, just a couple of sentences to dial you in on what this was like. It says, in the 38th year of King Asa of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. Now, pause right there. Keep that on the screen, and, and just make sure you're dialed in. Remember, this is divided kingdom. So Asa's king of Judah, good guy. And then this guy, Ahab, is king of Israel. God's heart was that these would be one people, but now they're divided. Just want to make sure that we get that straight together. It can be a little confusing if we're kind of new to the Old Testament journey. But uh, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. 
Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. Th this is the, the moment that we're stepping into, this moment where th there's, a, there's a guy, Ahab, the king of Israel, and you would expect him to have a heart for God, right? He's the king of Israel. But instead, he goes, Psh, nah, I'm, gonna, I'm down with the, the God that my wife believes in. And he marries Jezebel, and Jezebel is practically a priestess of the religion of Baal. Actually, Jezebel, she's so devoted to Baal, this false god of the Canaanites, that her name, Jezebel, it means the exalted one is Baal. I mean, that's literally what Jezebel means, her, her very name. And, and she has a desire to see the prophets of God be put out. She actually commands her people to murder the prophets of God, and she uh, engages in these religious orgies in the name of Asherah and Baal to get her gods to do some magic tricks to impress the people so that they'll wander away from God even more. That's what's going on. That's the situation. And so God, in the middle of this moment, raises up a prophet, the prophet Elijah. And, and I'm going to just jump right into 1 Kings 17, and here's what we read. It says, now Elijah, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Okay, so there's Elijah. All of a sudden, no introduction, no explanation, not even a last name. Just, and boom, there was Elijah talking to the king. We don't get any backstory at all. And sometimes God works like this, suddenly stirring up what he needs to stir up to accomplish his purposes. We don't know anything about him except that he's from Tishbe. All that means is that he is actually a legitimate part of the Israelite community. Tishbe's in Gilead, it's part of the tribe of Naphtali. So that's what we get. You wonder about his bona fides? Well, he's an Israelite. That's all you need to know. He's one of God's chosen people. But his name, we know his name. Say his name, Elijah. Elijah. Elijah, Elijah, Elijah. The first part, Eli, if you were speaking it in Hebrew, you'd say Eli. It means my God. And the last part of his name, Jah, it's short form for Yahweh, Yahweh, the, the ancient name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh. And so in the middle of this moment, this cultural drift away from God, where God's chosen people are beginning to forget about the ways of God and the covenant of God and beginning to engage in a bunch of pagan, nasty, foolish wickedness, God stirs up a man of God who comes in and his name is, my God is Yahweh. As in, did you people forget your identity? Did you forget that you're my covenant people? Did you forget that I called you out of slavery in Egypt? Did you forget that I gave you this covenant of my unfailing love? My God is Yahweh. It's not just his name. It's who you're meant to be. My God is Yahweh. Won't you just say it? My God is Yahweh. In the middle of this moment where these people are putting their trust in Baal and Asherah and Molech and whatever other magic trick comes along, God stirs up the prophet to say, no, this is who you are. My God is Yahweh. My God is Yahweh. Yahweh God. 
Yahweh God who created the heavens and the earth. Yahweh God who gave his Ten Commandments through Moses. Yahweh God, that's my God. My God is Yahweh God who poured out his unfailing love. My God is Yahweh God who spoke through the prophets. My God is Yahweh God who led his people out of slavery in Egypt. My God is Yahweh God who brought his people into the promised land. My God is Yahweh God who said he would send a deliverer, a Messiah. My God is Yahweh God who did deliver on that and brought Jesus Christ, the son of Yahweh God, and that's my king. My God is Yahweh. Say it again. My God is Yahweh. He just comes into the moment, and his very life and name is a message. My God is Yahweh. And he comes to us right now, too. And I wonder if maybe you can let even the name of Elijah kind of provoke you a little bit. Can you live a, my God is Yahweh kind of life? My God is Yahweh, and I'm not bowing to every other cultural influence that says I should keep that private. My God is Yahweh. I'm not covering it up. I have a source, and he is the source of life himself. I am not going to hide it. I am going to expose and live out the faith that I have. I'm putting it on the line. I'm drawing the line, and here it is, and I'm on this side of it. My God is Yahweh, and I'm not backing down, and I'm not bowing down, and I'm not slinking away, and I'm not covering it up, and I'm not hiding it. My God is Yahweh. Say it again. My God is Yahweh. I want to live that kind of life. And I believe the name of the prophet is beckoning you and I to be the kind of people that would say, me too. This is actually my identity. I've been called to be somebody who lives under the name of the power of the living God. My God is Yahweh, and I won't back down from that. I will live into that all the more. I will find the ways that my life needs to move more in the direction of what it would mean to say, my God is Yahweh, the God of the Bible. He's my God. He's my king. He's the one I serve. And this man... Elijah, he comes in the power of God, and in this moment, suddenly standing before the king, and he's trusting God with his life. And this is my message today. My God is alive, and I trust him with my life. I want you to just say this with me. My God is alive, and I trust him with my life. Say it again. My God is alive, and I trust him with my life. This is what I see in Elijah, that in the middle of this moment, he's right in the face of the person with all the power but his eyes are not on that king with his power. His eyes are on the king of kings and all of his power. And he's saying, yeah, I'm putting my life on the line here with the stand I'm taking. But I trust you with my life, God. My God is alive. And I trust him with my life. Th this moment matters. I want you to see the words again, 1 Kings 17, uh, 1, one more time. Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab. Now read these words out loud with me. Ready, go. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. You know who he's talking to, right? He's talking to King Ahab. Ahab believes in Baal and Asherah, the sex and fertility gods. And he, he believes, Ahab believes, that the rain and the storms and the dew and crops growing happened because of Baal, happened because of Asherah. That's what he believes in. And in this moment, the prophet is rising up and saying, your beliefs are a sham. 
Your God doesn't provide. Your God isn't the one who's the source. It is my God, Yahweh God. He is the source of absolutely everything. And my trust is in him. My God is alive. My God is alive. He says, as surely as the Lord my God lives, my God is alive. Would you just say it? My God is alive. As surely as the Lord my God lives, my God is alive. And my God is alive. And because my God is alive, he's able to intervene in the histories of men and women and bring about a change. My God is alive. And so I trust him to come into my life and strengthen me when I'm exhausted. My God is alive. And so when I feel stuck, I believe that it's his hand who's going to lift me out of that stuckness. My God is alive. And because he is, he's able to restore me when I'm broken. My God is alive. And because he is, he's able to help me when I'm feeling attacked. My God is alive. And because he is, he is bringing the victory into my life and circumstance, and I believe it. Say, my God is alive, and I trust him with my life. Just say this, my God is alive, and I trust him with my life. Just say it again, my God is alive, and I trust him with my life. This is what Elijah's doing in this very moment. He's a living message. In the face of this wickedness, he's taking a stand and saying, my God is in control. One more time, verse 1, it said, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain for the next few years except at my word. Okay, this is the prophet stirred up by God. And what's happening in this moment is the heart of God is being revealed. Instead of just smacking down on everybody, God sends a prophet. And the intention of the prophet's words are to call the people of God back to attention, to call the people of God back to the heart of God. And if God needs to use a removal of the provision of rain to get people's attention, I'm your God. Turn back to me. He'll do it. But he's doing it because he wants his people to come back to him. Now, in this passage, and I keep dwelling on verse 1, but th there is something revealed. And, and it's a revelation of the nature of what it means to be a prophet. And what I see is the prophet actually doing something that a prophet should do. And that is to speak truth with authority and power. He said, and I'll say it again in, in verse 1, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. We think of a prophet as somebody who hears from God. And we're not wrong. A prophet should be someone who is hearing from God. But I want you to recognize that a prophetically gifted person, a prophet in this Old Testament concept, is not simply someone who's hearing from God. Oh, I, I think I sense that maybe God is saying. <laughs> it's not only that. But there are moments when a prophetic gifting calls a person to take a stand to say something spiritually authoritative in such a way that it shall come to pass because it is a word from God that has prophetic power infusing it. It will not rain for three years except by my word. 
because my God lives. This is a prophetic moment. And I want you to see this for what it is. Sometimes you and I need to do likewise. What I see Elijah doing is stepping into this moment where King Ahab is in control, King Jezebel's in control, and they're moving everybody away from God, away from trust in God, away from a life in God, and Ahab is stirred up by God to appear on the scene and to say, no, I'm drawing the line right here, and I'm not going to do what you're saying to do. There has to be a moment when sometimes God's people get an Elijah-like heart about some things, where we begin to say, no, the word of God is what I will submit to. And the, the word of God is my ultimate standard. And the king of kings is who I'm responding to. I think we're in a moment like that in our life right now. I think we're in a moment where we need to have a bit of an Elijah heart about some things that are going on. Here's what I'm talking about. You know that I usually uh, kind of refrain myself from things having to do with politics, but I think we're in a moment right now where we're, uh, we're, we're facing mandates that are causing people to lose their jobs and pushing us to do things to our children that we have good reason not to do to their physical bodies. And I think there's a time where we need to draw a line and to say, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not allowing this. This is beyond politics. You're messing with my child. And, and I'm drawing a line here at this time. There needs to be a recognition sometimes among God's people when the drift is being pushed so far that we need to be able to say, this is no longer acceptable. There's an Elijah moment that we're living through right now. And, and I'm praying that some of us would catch a bit of that spirit of Elijah that would say, yeah, I know you're the king, but I'm not complying with what you're saying, Ahab. And yes, we're called in the scriptures to pray for the ruling authorities. And sometimes we need to do both, both pray for the ruling authorities while also recognizing there's a line that needs to be drawn here. Okay, let me just level with you. I'm, I'm not against vaccines. I'm not against science. From the beginning of the pandemic, I've been praying earnestly, God, would you bring cures? Si stir up the scientists to come up with cures. I'm not against that. I'm grateful for every good doctor creating great uh, treatments and cures and vaccines too. But when it comes to a point where people are being forced into unemployment and we're being forced to do things to our children's bodies, I find myself in a, in a this Popeye kind of moment where it's, I've had all I can stands. I can't stands no more. Out comes the spinach. Watch out. You know? like, but I'm praying that I'm not alone in that and that you and I would together be ready to draw the line and hold the line for the sake of, of what, what God wants to do yet in our families and in our communities and even in our nation at large. And, and I, I thank God for what I see here in Elijah. And then in verse 2, it says this. It says, and then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And I'll keep reading. In verse 3, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and you will drink from the brook and I've directed the ravens to supply you with food there. Back to verse 2. Would you just say verse 2 out loud with me? Just say it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Say it again. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. There's something about that, about living as a man or a woman who can, can be in God's presence and sense what God is saying and to know I've got a word of the Lord, and it's changing the direction of my life. 
It's calling me in a new direction. It's calling me to a different kind of a destiny. And that's what happens here for Elijah. He not only hears God's word and then declares God's word, the word of God comes to him for continued inspiration. And he's, and he's caught by that word of God, moved by that word of God. But let me just ask you to explore what God said and whether it makes sense. Verse 3 again, it said, leave here, turn to eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I've directed the ravens to supply you with food there. Okay, now at first glance, you might look and go, oh, that sounds so cool. Like a nice little camping trip out in the woods. Thanks, God. But if you really dissect these words, you're going to go, oh, no, it's not actually a cute little thing. I mean, look what God says. First he says, I want you to leave, and I want you to go hide Wait, what? What happened? I'm bold and I'm standing and I'm holding the line. I'm speaking truth to power right here in front of the king. And the next thing God says, yep, you've done that. And now it's time also to go and hide. Can you and I just simply embrace that there's room in the mind of God for both? That might push some of our buttons. But God is the one who's calling the shots, and he speaks to Elijah, I want you to leave, and you're going to go to the Kareth Ravine. What God is telling Elijah to do in this moment, if you look at a map, you will see God is telling Elijah to leave the promised land. He's, he's telling him to get out of the promised land and go to the wilderness. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? I mean, for him to leave the place where everything's available, where everything's comfortable, where everything's familiar, where it's all dialed in and he can get everything he needs for himself. Does it make sense to get up and leave all of that? No, it doesn't make sense. And then to go to the Kareth Ravine? Really? Kareth, even the word Kareth, it means cut off. And, and so he's going to go be hidden and cut off in an uncomfortable place. Drinking from a book, brook, receiving food from ravens. I mean, this is awkward. But, but if, you, if you read what comes next in the life of Elijah, there are great and amazing things that happen. But I wonder if maybe it's this moment of experiencing being cut off, hidden, separated, totally dependent on God in this unique way that prepares him to step up into the moments that follow. Wow. These moments matter. These moments where in some of our lives, maybe some of us have experienced it, where, where a word of the Lord comes to us and it leads to us moving in a new direction. I have several of those that punctuate my life journey. One of them happened around 18 years ago. 18 years ago, Ann and I were in Santa Barbara, and uh, I was the campus worship pastor at Westmont College, and, uh, and that was wonderful. I was the youth and, and worship pastor at Hope Community Church, a great little church, and uh, I, I had a lot of friends in all of these places, and, and I lived in Santa Barbara. <laughs> like, it was great. We could practically walk, walk to, to Arroyo Borough Beach, man. It was so cool. And I was praying one day about my future, and I was asking God what I should do. Long story short, I had a little paper with me, and I was writing down the things that were coming to my mind that I felt like God was saying. And in an instant, the word of the Lord came to me. And it was, I want you to leave. Resign from Westmont. And resign from Hope Community Church. In an instant, that word came to me. 
and I wrote it down on paper. It did not make sense on paper or in real life either <laughs> because there wasn't like we had some big next. And I, I did. I followed what I felt like the Lord was saying because the word, I, truly the word of the Lord came to me that day. And, uh, Anne and I made the difficult decision to, to, to leave. And I thought, okay, well, uh, right in the nick of time, God's going to open the next door and it'll be wonderful. Except it didn't happen. And we just hauled up our U-Haul and left and moved back, back to L.A. where Ann got her old job back as a nurse at St. Joe's Hospital. And I became the stay-at-home dad, which for me meant the stay-at-home and scream into my pillow all day, dad. Because I'm like, what did I do? What have I done? God, was that really you? And for months and months and months and months, it was wilderness for me. It was the Kareth Ravine for me. And it was a time of being cut off and of being just hidden, and nothing was happening. And what, what was happening, though, was that God was removing from me all of these things that needed to be removed, false senses of identity, false senses of security, false senses of ego, whatever, just stripped away until all that was left is, I'm a child of God. What else could there be that matters? I'm a child of God. And it was like as though once God brought me to that point, then he could bring me out of the Kareth Ravine and back into a place to do something. And, and by the way, that was that it, it very quickly, in, in a matter of three weeks after that one point, just we were in Murrieta, and I was uh, it, it being installed as the pastor here. That, 18 years ago, God, God has his ways. But that time of being cut off and hidden, I think it meant something in Elijah's life. I think it can mean something in all of our lives, too, when we are in those moments where the word of the Lord has come. And, and, and I want you to embrace this, that just because we get the word of the Lord coming to us, it doesn't mean that what follows, that everything that follows is going to be perfect and rosy. I just want you to be aware of that, that Elijah being sent away from the promised land and to go hide in the Kareth Ravine and to eat foods that were, were provided by ravens, this was not beautiful. This was difficult. It was challenging. It, it took things away from him that he probably would have liked to have kept. It took him out of the place where he had a sense of uh, location-based identity, if you will. It took him into a, a wilderness but it was the word of the Lord. Connect those dots. Wow. It's really important. Otherwise, we start to think of God like he's a genie. Right. And, and this is what happens next. Verses 5 and 6, it says, He did what the Lord had told him, and he went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. He drank from the brook. I love that it says meat, by the way. I'm just excited about that. I mean, I don't know. Probably from a questionable source, like somebody's leftover Sabbath barbecue or something. But, I mean, meat was falling. Because it could have been worse. It could have been like Brussels sprout drops every day, you know. But God brought him meat and bread. I love it. Uh, just say no to tofu and vegetarianism. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. No, no, I'm kidding. It's fine. I also embraced Daniel. Bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. He drank from the brook. God's direction, he's accompanied by God's provision. Just take it in. God's direction is accompanied by God's provision. 
but it is bread and meat brought by ravens. Ravens. If you were never uh, much of a Bible reader before, and this was the first time you read through the Bible, and you came upon this sentence, and ravens dropped off the food to him, you might actually go, what? <laughs> and if you were Jewish, you would go, what? Because ravens are unclean creatures. Like, in God's own word, the ravens are unclean. And so God is literally violating the standard of his own word to accomplish his provision in Elijah's life. I, I, I'm kind of mind blown by that. But I'm also paying attention to the fact that even as provision came, it was dropped meat and dropped bread from an unclean bird. And I don't know where that bird got that stuff. It probably wasn't like a, you know, porterhouse from Morton's at this point, right? It's probably not fresh sourdough from Blue Water Grill, right? Come on, somebody. You know, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking it's probably like a leftover heel, like the crust that nobody wanted to make their sandwich with, that just sitting there. And, and somebody's like like little drumstick, like just got left on the table after everyone was all done. And that's what comes flying I, I want to thank God for the provision, but I want to also have a realistic expectation that as I expect God's direction to be accompanied by God's provision, I want to have a realistic understanding that that provision might not necessarily be the million dollar make it holla kind of a provision. It might be something a little uh, less enthralling than that. But can I be okay with it? Can I accept it? Can I thank God for it? even though it wasn't maybe as much as I would have liked or the kind I would have liked or in the measure I was hoping for. And I, and I think this is what happens in this moment. And, and then verse 7 says, sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. I know that we're wondering together, what happens next with Elijah then? I mean, I thought God was supplying, and he was, until he wasn't. And next week, we're going to pick up here to figure out what happens next. But what I want you to see is that the rain was cut off for those three years, just the way Elijah said. There is power in the prophetic declaration of an anointed one of God. I want you to see that. There's power in the declaration of an authorized, anointed one of God. And I'm going to just kind of wrap up a little bit abruptly, but Elijah, so important in the Old Testament and in the Jewish community, that, like I said at the beginning, that every week at most Sabbath dinners, Jewish community members are praying, oh, God, and would you send us Elijah? And then when Jesus came on the scene, he, he was mistaken for Elijah. Time and time again, people would say, I, th I think he's Elijah. And he had conversations with his own disciples about that, saying, who do you say that I am? And they're going, wow, some people saying you're Elijah. I don't know. And, and, and it's because of how great Elijah was. But, but even John the Baptist recognized, no, and he was the one who embodied the Elijah spirit. And even he said, no, no, no. The Messiah, Jesus, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And Jesus comes on the scene if you will, like in that spirit of Elijah, as a deliverer, as a rescuer, as Messiah. And his gift is a complete rescue from every way in which 
the evil one would want to keep you bound. And there's a gift available to you. It's the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. And earlier in the service, we paused for a few minutes and had communion together. And, and for many of us, we just were delighting in that because we know what it's all about. But there's probably a few of us here today who are jumping in online and you're wondering, what was all of that? You know? Well, what that is, is that is a moment where a bunch of us just recognize how much we need Jesus, the Savior, the Deliverer, that Elijah was merely a forerunner of to bring the rescue of God in our lives. And that a bunch of us have just discovered there's nothing better than the rescue of God that comes through Jesus. And so, and so we, we've, the, those of us who are celebrating that, we've had a moment where we just finally discovered, I need to ask God to forgive my sins. And I believe that Jesus paid the price so that that could happen. And we receive his forgiveness. And we're saved. And we live in the joy, the strength, the hope, the fullness of that salvation. And I want to just say I want that for you. If you're new with us today, I want you to know that there's a way that you can experience the forgiveness of your sins and the saving grace of Jesus. It's a gift offered to you. And the scriptures say this in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says, if you, and there is an if. This isn't automatic. There's a response required. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. Here's what I'm wondering about. I'm wondering whether there might be some of us here today that we've had a little something kind of stirring inside of us where we're, we're kind of feeling interested about Jesus. But now's the time to openly declare your faith in Jesus once and for all. Stop playing games like look and not look, but just cross the line today. Ask Jesus to forgive your sins and save your life. Openly declare your faith. Let him reach in and lift you out of where you're stuck in your sin. He can set you free. The power of Jesus Christ can set you free from sin and death. And I'm praying that today there would be a spiritual awakening for somebody. And that this would be the moment that once and for all you'd say, Jesus, I give you my life. Would you forgive me and save me? And that you would openly declare it. That it wouldn't be hidden any longer. It wouldn't be in the back, kind of your secret thing anymore, that you would go public with it. Jesus, I believe in you. Why don't you take a moment and pray with me right now. God, I pray that you would strengthen us. Those of us who are believers, God, I pray that you would strengthen us, that we would catch kind of the heart of Elijah, and that we would be willing to say to a world that's drifting further and further away, my God is Yahweh, and that we won't back down, and that we will live a my God is Yahweh kind of life that we won't be bowing down to Baal and all of the greed and materialism of Baal. We won't be bowing down to Asherah and all of the uh, ridiculous perversion of, of, of Asherah and Jezebel, but that we would live a my God is Yahweh kind of life. I want you to just say, God, help me to do it. Just say, God, help me to do it. To live a my God is Yahweh kind of life. You can't do it on your own strength. You need the Lord. Just say, God, help me to do it. God, help me to do it, to live a my God is Yahweh kind of life. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen those of us who are believers to catch some of the heart of Elijah, to recognize that even though there's an Ahab with power, that we believe in a God who is the source of all power. 
and that we're going to stand with our God and for our God. And God, I pray that you'd give us boldness to do it. Why don't you just say, help me, God. Just say, help me, God, to do it, to live with that kind of Elijah heart of boldness. And Lord, I also pray right now that you would do a spiritual awakening for somebody. And the truth is, here you are in church, and you're trying to put the pieces together. Here are the pieces. You need Jesus, and he is willing to come into your life and forgive you and save you. But he doesn't force his salvation on you. It is a gift, and you get to receive it by faith. And right now, for somebody, it's time for you to once and for all openly declare your faith in Jesus and ask him to forgive your sins and save your life. Right now, for someone, this is it. This is why you're in this moment, why you jumped online at this time, why you're sitting on that patio, why you're in this room. is because God is speaking to you, stirring up your heart. You know that you need his forgiveness. It's time to ask him. Ask him to forgive your sins and save your life once and for all. Right now while we're praying, God, I, I ask you to do that spiritual awakening that you alone can do. And that for somebody, this would be the moment of being born again. While we're praying together, if you would say, I need to do that. I need to ask Jesus to forgive my sin for real. I need to ask Jesus to forgive me and save me. Right now, I want you to raise your hand with me. Right now, raise it up as your way of finally saying, I want to ask Jesus to forgive my sins. I want you to raise your hand and keep it raised. And if you're out on the patio, raise it even higher. And if you're online, just type it into the comments. I want to say yes to Jesus. If you're ready to ask him to forgive you and save you, raise your hand right now in the back on my left, right here in the middle of my left, thank you. That's amazing. Up in the back, thank you. If there's anyone else right in the middle, keep your hand up. Thank you, sir. And in the back, ma'am, I see you. It's awesome. If there's anyone else, I don't want to miss it. Way on my right over here. Thank you, God. You're raising your hand, but now I want you to raise your heart. And this is how you do it. You pray. You talk to God for a minute. And you say something like this. You just simply say, Heavenly Father, here I am. I admit that I need you. God, I need you. And then maybe just say, simple like this, Jesus Christ, I believe in you. Say it with me even. Just say it. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. You can all say it. Again, say it. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. And I believe that you paid the price for my sin when you died on the cross. Jesus, would you forgive my sin? Say it with me. Jesus, would you forgive my sin? Even say it again. Jesus, would you forgive my sin? Wash away the guilt and the shame and set me free, Jesus. Just cry out to him for a moment. Jesus, I need you. Would you set me free? Jesus, I, I give you my life. I declare that you are my Lord. You are my Savior. And from this moment on, Jesus, I'm yours. And you can all say it, Jesus, I'm yours. Jesus, I'm yours. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. King Jesus, thank you for new life. I received your gift of new life right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Those of you who just had a hand raised, man, I'm so grateful that you have said yes to Jesus. And our ministry team is going to bring a Bible to you in just a moment. We want to help you grow in this faith in Christ. And I want you to stand to your feet. Everybody stand to your feet. Holy Spirit, we are in need of you. Holy Spirit, we are in need of you. I want you to recognize something as you're standing to your feet. For some of you, you came into church today, and your heart was in knots. But I believe that for some of us, it, it has happened. God has touched us. He's brought peace. 
he's undone the knots. If that's happened for you, I want you to just simply, I don't know, raise a hand to say, God set me free from the, the distress. Like, it's gone. Like, he, he lifted it. He undid the knot. There's just a bunch of us. Just hallelujah. Just say, thank you, God, all together. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, we trust in you. And God, I pray that the rest of us, so many other needs that we have, Lord, I pray that you would bring your power to bear on our lives. Heal us where we need healing, God. For some of you, what you need to do is at the end of the service, you come up to the front, let our prayer team lay hands on you and pray for you. We're going to see God do miracles even here. Father, we honor you. We love you. We give you praise. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Hallelujah. Lord, we praise you because you've been good to us. Hallelujah. We praise you, God, because you've set us free. Hallelujah. We say it loud. Hallelujah. Because, God, you've shown us your unfailing love. Just shout. Hallelujah. God, you have been good. You've been faithful. You haven't dropped us. You're holding us together. You're putting us back together. You're healing us, God. You're showing us favor, God. You're showing your goodness, God. You're pouring out favor, Lord. You're so faithful, God. You're so faithful, God. You are so faithful, God. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Sing hallelujah. Sing it. Hallelujah, God. on the patio for you to go to. For everything else that's happening at Centerpoint, you can check out our website, mycenterpoint.tv, our mobile app, our social media. Remember that you are loved by God and be blessed. <laughs>